regards, and welcome to Ryan Rambles You to Rest, the podcast where I talk at length about matters of nearly no urgent need, nor heavy impact on our daily lives. In the interest of helping you there, off to a more peaceful state. Surely you are now aware of the cultural phenomenon known colloquially as Barbenheimer. The portmanteau of the two summer release motion pictures, Barbie and Oppenheimer. For those uninitiated, to put the matter simply, a swell of public enthusiasm and clever marketing created a storm of interest around exciting people into going to see not one, but two movies in the theater in one weekend. For many on the same day. But in any case, probably the same week. These two movies could not be more different in nature. One is a choppy, over-the-top movie that exhibits many stripes of cultural indoctrination with a historically questionable role model as its protagonist. And the other is Barbie. Because of its disturbing and tense subject matters, I will leave it to you, dear Rester, to apprise yourself of the history and times of one J. Robert Oppenheimer. Too much of his story to my taste is unpleasant to ponder, at least most certainly in these moments when we are sizing up serenity and peacefulness as our next state of sense, or otherwise supine somnambulation. Barbie, on the other hand, being an imminently enjoyable, nicely nostalgic, and favorably feminist film by ever-escalating writer-director and alliteratively labeled Greta Gerwig, lends itself much more fairly a topic to our present peaceful endeavors. Furthermore, the Barbenheimer cultural moment has captured my heart. It is over a week now since the screenings began, and I still see people walking around my neighborhood in pink to the movie theater. There is a palpable and inspiring air of nostalgia and fandom, which, of course, lies entirely on the Barbie side upon whose coattails Oppenheimer is riding. Both films are still selling out movie theaters, which is great to me because I care so much about the theatrical film experience and the survival of those movie theaters. And although I will not be reviewing the picture in this space, I will say simply that I found Barbie to be thoroughly entertaining all the way through. So why not learn more? In this episode, 
I will begin with a return to our recently launched segment, Rester Rambles, to read some of your most recent comments. Then, as though that were not dull enough, I will take on a particular ponder of Barbie, the world-famous toy now-turned-fabulous feminist film phenomenon. Before we begin, I would like to recommend that you subscribe to this show on your podcast platform of choice or YouTube. For news and announcements, follow us on Instagram or threads at Ryan Rambles Pod. Our soundtrack is by Disparition. Of course, my voice is what you will tend to hear most during this podcast. However, I think it is important to bid a fair tip of the hat to you, dear resters. In Rester Reflections, I will choose from recent comments on the YouTube channel and share them with you. Now I will tell you with some delight that a handful of our Rester Reflections over this recent past period have been unto themselves rambles of their own. Our first is from Irene Becker for 815, who you may recall reflected for us in our last visit, episode 11, I Scream, in which I did not scream. The title was a pun. This reflection, however, from Irene is from episode 6, Vegetables I Know, The Return, the third installment of my roundup of Vegetables I Know. Irene shares this. And then there's corn, whole corn, like you eat on the cob, is considered a vegetable. But the kernel itself, where popcorn comes from, is considered a grain. But many grains, including popcorn, are considered to be a fruit because they come from the seed or flower part of the plant not the body of the plant. So corn is complicated. Another thing I realized is that avocados are also fruit because of their large seed. So avocado dip is equitable to applesauce. Kind of. This is what happens when I wake up in the middle of your videos. Well, 
Although I generally hope that you are not awakened by the videos themselves, a mid-rest rambling reflection in the comments is always welcome. Corn is indeed complicated. When and if we return to vegetables, I know, I shall be cautious on the count of corn. Although, I will say, at this very moment, I find the idea that popcorn could be called popped fruit a little tickling. I should also like to report that a couple of weekends ago, I went back to the local farmer's market for the first time in a while, and I was able to get very fresh corn on the cob that had been picked just the day before. It was extremely delicious and also my first fresh corn of the season. So we ate it in just about every way we could think of. Boiled, just fresh cut off the cob, sautéed, grilled. You see, I bought too much of it, and I couldn't help myself. And the fellow at the farmer's market who was selling it was very, very proud of the corn. In addition to being picked just the day before, he promised it would be the best corn I had ever eaten. Now I can't say for certain that it was just that. But it was delicious. And it has been wonderful to have around. And so, at the very least, we get to think about corn. Tis the season. And I'm glad because of the timing of Irene's comment that it's very appropriate to talk about it now. I hope that others of you have access to fresh corn at this time. I remember when I was younger and grew up in the Northeast and in New Jersey you could count on there being roadside corn in the summertime. That's the way to go. If you have a line on fresh corn, doesn't matter whether it's a fruit or a vegetable or a grain. You should definitely, definitely hook it up. And furthermore, that it may be popped fruit. Enjoy a fresh buttered popcorn the next time you go to your local cinema. Our next reflection is from Lake Oper 478. Lake Oper writes, Dozed off to this, and I remember last wondering, Why do you have an IG account dedicated to benches? It sounds wholesome, though. 
Indeed, Legoper. It would be fairly fair to say that the bench experience on Instagram is relatively wholesome. Although there are here and there sometimes heavy benches which may remind us of decay, politics, struggle, and frightening animals, real or mythological, Benchstagram, as I like to call it, is a peaceful and indeed wonderfully international space. As far as why I have an Instagram account dedicated to benches, well, that takes us back a few years. One time, one of my best friends and I were going to a wedding for another one of our best friends. The wedding was something of a destination wedding in a remote location, so remote that we had to charter a flight out to this island. And because it was possible for both of our schedules, we were heading out to this remote location several days earlier than most other people. We knew that we would spend a certain amount of time helping to prepare for the wedding itself and socializing. But because the location was so remote and we expected that internet would be spotty and we would have a limited amount of technology at our fingertips based on what we could travel with, we were rather concerned that there would be very little to do on this island in question. And, in advance of our departure, we discussed betwixt ourselves what sort of possibilities there may be for entertainment. My friend suggested that we could probably find a nice bench to sit on and we imagined that perhaps there might be more benches, and that assessing the quality of benches might become a hobby of ours. The joke itself tickled us so much that we, from that point on, continued to joke about paying attention to and caring about benches. So much so, that we thought it would be funny to create an Instagram account about benches and in fact also other social media. We created a Twitter account and we created a Facebook account and so on and so forth. Well, it turned out that on Instagram there really was quite a community that was growing or already existed around photographing benches. And from there, the rest is kind of history. You know how social media works. You find other accounts that have the same interests and you follow them and they follow you. And today we have a community of what I would guess is around 400 or so bench-focused 
Instagram accounts. And they're from all over the world, many different countries, and climates and regions and languages of all of the social media that I participate in, the Instagram bench thing is the most international, the most broad, um, and kind of the most soothing in its way. And I've found it to be kind of a comfort scroll, you know, People talk about doom scrolling with social media and having to see all of the negative things. Well, scrolling through benches is mostly pretty pleasant. And a lot of benches, as we've talked about on this podcast already, can be placed in beautiful places that allow us to ponder... um, nature a lot of the time, but also beautiful urban benches. Although I will confess as a side point that I also have a soft spot for the mundane bench, the bench that has no particular artistry or even a good placement. I think it's good to be aware that they exist. Perhaps just as a matter of contrast, that an expressionistic urban bench or a perfectly placed mountaintop bench, they have a more compelling quality, but a bench at the end of the day is still a place to sit. In a mall hallway waiting outside of a restroom is still a bench. A place where you can recollect and center yourself if need be. So I suppose it is wholesome. I I think that your assessment that it sounds wholesome is very accurate. Now then... Onto what I will say is certainly a ramble in its own right. This is from Drew Cunningham, 7359, who writes, I always liked the dark meat as a kid because my mom would make the white meat completely dried out to the point where you had to have gravy or a little cranberry sauce or toss it in a sandwich with mayonnaise. Now, I would just like to say before I go forward that those are delicious fixes to your problem. The dark meat for me was moist and tasty on its own. You didn't have to make it palatable by adding other things to it. After watching Alton Brown's cooking show, which I would totally recommend, 
I have definitely upped my game on cooking turkey. You know, I should say that I should get back to Alton Brown. I made a version of his famous holiday soup one year for Christmas. And I made two soups that year. People thought I was insane. But the first soup was a light, bright, thin soup. It was based on a sorrel soup, so it was green and a little creamy and bright. And Brown's holiday soup is a hearty, but not too thick soup with lots going on. Lots of different ingredients. Um, Very delicious. And I could probably make it again. As you know, I think soups are wonderful. And maybe when we get back to the fall or winter time, we can go back and go more in-depth with soups. Now back to Drew Cunningham, 7359. I promised this was very ramble-like. He continues. He, Alton Brown, mentioned such things as not stuffing the turkey. Because you have to cook the turkey longer for the stuffing inside to reach a safe temperature. This especially dries out white meat. It gives the stuffing a nice turkey flavor and makes the stuffing especially flavorful, but it ruins the rest of the turkey. I do agree that stuffing is one of the best items of the holiday foods, and it's one of the things where I love a combination of textures from soggy to crisp, and everything in between. Now this is sage advice, not stuffing the turkey. The cook on the turkey is far more important, let's be honest. If you want some of that flavor in the stuffing, You're going to have plenty of rendered turkey fat on the side after that cook is done. My recommendation for sure is to take some of that rendered turkey fat and make it a part of that stuffing, which you can bake or cook in your preferred fashion. Drew continues... I really am not fond of green beans. I will eat them, but it is really one of my least favorite foods. However, I really enjoy green bean casserole to the point where I look forward to having it on the holidays. Now, I was this way when I was younger. Um, Not with green beans. For me, it was mushrooms. When I was younger, I totally hated mushrooms. I couldn't stand them. But I still loved Campbell's Cream of Mushroom Soup, which I hardly ever even have anymore, besides using as a casserole base. But here is that thing, is that it is a casserole base, and 
you can put a lot of things into a casserole dish with cream and mushroom soup and something crispy on top and make it pretty palatable even for someone that wouldn't normally enjoy it. Drew continues. The thing that is really a winner for everyone in the family, to where we are all fighting for it, and we typically have to make two batches, is cheesy potato casserole. It is amazing with the diced potatoes and the option of cream of mushroom or celery soup. Man, that does sound good. I like the varying of doing cream of celery instead of the cream of mushroom. With or without diced red or green peppers. You're really talking my language here, Drew. Once again, different textures where there is a crispy edge around the dish, and some people try to steal as much as they can of it before others get their chance. I'm just going to say flat out that your cheesy potato casserole sounds fantastic. I've had some variations before, but I don't believe I've had it with peppers. This has me thinking, it is a hair away from potentially having a little bit of like a Latin theme, maybe a little jalapeno, lean in with some sour cream, heck we're halfway to nachos now. Drew continues, the holidays are a great chance to have a spiral ham instead of a turkey which is not a normal dish. This is to say, infrequently enjoyed, which makes it even better when you finally do have it. That's certainly fair. I do, however, love a casserole of rice, broccoli, cheese, and the required Campbell soup. I try to avoid too much rice. I don't think it works so well for my digestive system. So when I make it, I try to add more broccoli to convince myself that I am making it healthier. Ah yes, convincing ourselves that we're making it healthier. In any case, this just sounds sort of delightful. I haven't tried a rice and broccoli cheese casserole, but now I'm intrigued. And if Anyone else, any other of you, dear resters, have some beloved casserole recipes, I would love to hear about them. It is still the middle of summertime here in the North American continent, but we aren't too far off from having to start considering what our autumn and winter casseroles might be this year. Now, I will add that in a follow-up comment, Drew asks, Was that a good ramble? Well, Drew, I will turn the answer to that question back over to you and the other resters. For my money, it was an excellent ramble. And it is certainly a pleasure to think of all of these comforting and satisfying holiday foods out of season, 
here in summertime. Now then, I thank you all who have taken the time to comment, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Your interest and support not only warm my heart, but help even more resters like yourselves find their way to this channel and podcast. Let us continue our journey. Well now, here we are at the trailhead of our mellow meander. Ahead lies the unknown. I am reminded of a famous tale of adventure, wherein one adventurer to the other inquired, Where do these stairs go? And in reply said the other, They go up. Now I will admit that for the most part of my time on this large round ball, I have dedicated very few moments of my cognitive capacity to the consideration of the popular Mattel toy, Barbara, or more famously, Barbie. In fact, I would wager that I have spent more time thinking about Barbie in the last week or two as I have been dedicating some focus to my other in-the-works film-themed endeavor than I have over my previous years combined. You see, at some point in my teens or college years, it became apparent that the variety of modern culture I found myself a part of, and indeed agreed wholeheartedly with, had more or less condemned the doll, thus freeing me of further concern. Now, I do have some childhood recollections of playing with Barbie dolls with a neighborhood friend of mine when I was much younger. And indeed, I will further admit that one of the core premises or appeals of the toy dressing up and fashion, is to this day, my gaming friends will tell you, one of my favorite aspects of video games. I can spend hours dressing up my video game characters. As a brief recollection to our cause, in a particular ponder, we dive deeply into the details of a specific area of interest. Although this reduces the likelihood of a real roundabout ramble, as we sometimes experience elsewhere, a particular ponder does well to focus one or two things. Unlike a really random topic or the roundup, I do a little bit of scoping this out beforehand to ensure that I get only the dullest value for you. 
in this particular particular ponder, I will also omit some of the heavier and funnier details about Barbie. However, I do encourage you to read the article yourself, especially as there is one section on parodies which I fear could wake up the most stalwart of resters. And further, too, I believe that the sections about bad influences, Barbie syndrome, and indeed role model Barbies are all important as well. As always, if you appreciate this segment and the wealth of knowledge that Wikipedia makes available to us all 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days each year, and 66 on leap years, then I will encourage you to consider a modest donation at wikipedia.org. Hashtag not a sponsor. Now then, as we embark upon this pink-colored endeavor, we'll begin with the top-level brief on Barbie, the overview, if you will. This from wikipedia.org slash wiki slash Barbie. B-A-R B I E Barbie is a fashion doll created by American businesswoman Ruth Handler, manufactured by American toy company Mattel, and launched in 1959. Barbie is the figurehead of a brand of Mattel dolls and accessories, including other family members and collectible dolls. Barbie has been an important part of the toy fashion doll market for over six decades and has been the subject of numerous controversies and lawsuits often involving parodies of the dolls and her lifestyle, which, once again, we will be glossing over because funny. Mattel has sold over a billion Barbie dolls, making it the company's largest and most profitable line. The brand has expanded into a long-running multimedia franchise since the late 80s, including video games and CGI computer-animated films, the latter, which began in 2001, became originally available on home video formats and broadcast regularly on the Nickelodeon cable channel 
in the United States from 2002 to 2017. Since 2017, the franchise has been moved over to streaming services. Barbie and her best friend Ken have been described as the two most popular dolls in the world. Since its launch, Barbie has transformed the toy business in affluent communities globally by becoming a vehicle for the sale of related merchandise. Accessories, clothes, friends, and relatives of Barbie, etc. Writing for Journal of Popular Culture in 1977, Don Richard Cox noted that Barbie has a significant impact on social values by conveying characteristics of female independence and with her multitude of accessories an idealized upscale lifestyle that can be shared with affluent friends. So there is a little bit of a sense going back to 1977 which is, at this point, closer to a decade into Barbie existing, that there is an element of independence. And I suppose, based on my limited knowledge, that that isn't necessarily inaccurate throughout the life of Barbie. Um, The more controversial social elements, I think, are more complex than simple independence or not independence. Indeed they are. And once again, here we move on. Sales of Barbie dolls declined sharply from 2014 to 2016. However, Mattel sold 1.35 billion worth of Barbie dolls and accessories in 2020, and this was their best sales growth in two decades. This is an increase from the $950 million the brand sold during 2017. According to MarketWatch, the release of the 2023 movie Barbie is expected to create, quote, significant growth, end quote for the brand until at least 2030. 
as well as reinvigorated sales, the release of the movie has triggered a fashion trend known as Barbiecore. Well, this is the first I've heard of Barbiecore, I'll be honest. But I do wonder if what I have just seen around the neighborhood, which seemed like fans going to see Barbie, might not actually be an expression of Barbiecore. And maybe not everybody is going to the movies. Maybe they're just walking around the neighborhood in this Barbiecore fashion trend. It's interesting too here, you know, we don't have a great deal of context for a lot of the beats here. Of course, this is just an overview. And if I'm honest, I think that this article is ultimately relatively lacking in detail for how in-depth we often go with a particular ponder. And in this case, such a storied cultural phenomenon that it would seem might be inviting to greater historical detail and changes over the years. And I, and I would say that there is a lot of that that is lacking here. And while I don't expect that from the overview level necessarily, I do think it is somewhat interesting that we go from 1959 to 1977, and then we, and then we jump all the way to the teens. But there we have our overview of Barbie, and I feel like this is... You know, for me, there's a lot that is missing. I didn't play very much with Barbie, but, you know, I am aware that Barbie had her car and her friends and her house and a lot of these elements that I feel like would be salient if I was going back to read about Barbie. Um... And I haven't glossed through all of the hyperlinks in this Wikipedia article, so perhaps there are other wiki pages that go into more detail about the toys themselves, and this is a very, like, overall generalized culture-focused read-through of, of the history of Barbie. So there is a section about all of the media franchises, and this is a fairly detailed rundown, which I think we can skip for now and maybe come back to if we feel so inclined. This is still a relatively hefty article, after all. 
and I am very much intrigued by the fictional biography of the next section. Barbie's full name is Barbara. So I was correct there. Millicent Roberts. Barbara Millicent Roberts, known as Barbie. And perhaps we can call her BMR. In a series of novels published by Random House in the 1960s, her parents' names are given as George and Margaret Roberts from the fictional town of Willows, Wisconsin. In the Random House novels, Barbie attended Willows High School, while in the Generation Girl books, published by Golden Books in 1999, she attended the fictional Manhattan International High School in New York City, based on the real-life Stuyvesant High School. So, this is interesting. There is a 30, 35-year-apart series of novels, as it says here, novels about Barbie that have a most salient difference in canon as where she went to high school. I wonder if there isn't more. Moving on. She has an on-off romantic relationship with her then-boyfriend, Ken. Full name, Kenneth Sean Carson, who first appeared in 1961. A news release from Mattel in February 2004 announced that Barbie and Ken had decided to split up. But, in February 2006, they were hoping to rekindle their relationship after Ken had a makeover. This is all very fascinating canon that I knew nothing about, dear Rester, until we sat down here. In 2011, Mattel launched a campaign for Ken to win Barbie's affections back. The pair officially reunited on Valentine's Day 2011 at the release of Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures in 2018, the pair are seen as just friends or next-door neighbors. So it seems off the bat that it has been a kind of 
off and on, on again, off again. Not sure what message we want to send with Ken in Barbie's life. And I will say as an aside that there is some fairness to how that is expressed through the feature motion picture. Moving on, Mattel has created a range of companions and relatives for Barbie. She has three younger sisters. Skipper, Stacy, and Chelsea, who was named Kelly until 2011. Her sisters have co-starred in many entries of the Barbie film series, starting with Barbie and her sisters in a ponytail from 2013, Quote, retired members of Barbie's family included Todd, a twin brother to Stacy. So there was this, like, erased twin brother. So Skipper, Stacy, and Chelsea, and there was a twin brother to Stacy. So Barbie has a brother who was removed. Chrissy, a baby sister, so another. And Francie, a cousin, who I can only assume is from Spain. Barbie's friends include Hispanic Teresa, Midge, African-American Christy, and Stephen, Christy's boyfriend. Barbie also was friendly with Blaine, an Australian surfer, during her split with Ken in 2004. Uh, it is a saucy history to Barbie, and with beach and surfing so prevalent, it makes me wonder if Blaine might have been in the movie and I missed it. Now here, things get a little more interesting. Barbie has had over 40 pets including cats and dogs, horses, a panda, a lion cub, and a zebra. Now, we'll find out later maybe, but I have a feeling that zebra and lion print are also somewhat fashionable. And... Pandas are pandas. They're classic. She has owned a wide range of vehicles, including Pink Beetle and Corvette convertibles. I mean, those are good. Trailers, 
and Jeeps. She also holds a pilot's license and operates commercial airliners in addition to serving as a flight attendant. So is the implication there that she flies the plane and hands out headsets for the movie? Barbie's careers are designed to show that women can take on a variety of roles in life, and the doll has been sold with a wide range of titles, including Miss Astronaut Barbie, Dr. Barbie, and, of course, NASCAR Barbie. So, if I'm honest, I was sort of hoping that the fictional biography would be a little bit less of a history of how Barbie has been marketed over the years and a little bit more of like a real informative like family tree timeline of relationships kind of uh, and careers description something that would tell us like oh this is where she was a lawyer and then an astronaut, and then so on and so forth. But this does more or less give us a sense of Barbie's background as a kind of fictional individual. Lots of pets, lots of vehicles, lots of um, changes of friends, and so on and so forth. Now, this next section is called Legacy and Influence, and it has several bite-sized bits for us to examine. The section has its own preamble as well. It says, Barbie has become a cultural icon and has been given honors that are rare in the toy world. In 1974, a section of Times Square in New York City was renamed Barbie Boulevard for a week. The Musée des Arts Décoratifs in Paris at the Louvre, held a Barbie exhibit in 2016. The exhibit featured 700 Barbie dolls over two floors, as well as works by contemporary artists and documents, such as newspapers, photos, and video, that contextualize Barbie. So the Louvre had a Barbie exhibit in the last 10 years. I think that is interesting. And it does seem again that these, this trend of documentation within the context of this article starts with a 60s or 70s and then just jumps 
you know, all the way forward to the last 10 years. In 1986, the artist Andy Warhol created a painting of Barbie. The painting sold at auction at Christie's in London for $1.1 million. In 2015, the Andy Warhol Foundation then teamed up with Mattel to create an Andy Warhol Barbie. As you would. Because that is surely the intellectual progression of Andy Warhol's thinking that he would paint Barbie in 1986 and after he passed away his foundation would team up with Mattel to create an Andy Warhol Barbie. Outsider artist Al Carby took thousands of photographs of Barbie and created countless collages and dioramas featuring Barbie in various settings. Carby was the subject of the 2013 feature-length documentary Magical Universe. Carby's college art was presented in the 2016 Barbie exhibit, the one in Paris, in the section about visual artists who have been inspired by Barbie. In 2013 in Taiwan, the first Barbie-themed restaurant, called Barbie Cafe, opened up under the Sinlaku group. Now, that sounds kind of fun. Although, if I'm honest, a overabundance of pink can be too much for me. But a Barbie-themed cafe at the moment sounds kind of cool. The Economist has emphasized the importance of Barbie to children's imagination. Quoting now from The Economist. From her early days as a teenage fashion model, Barbie has appeared as an astronaut surgeon, Olympic athlete, downhill skier, aerobics instructor, TV news reporter, vet, rock star, doctor, army officer, air force pilot, summit diplomat, rap musician, presidential candidate, with no party affiliation. Baseball player, scuba diver, lifeguard, firefighter, engineer, dentist, and many more. When Barbie first burst into the toy shops, just as the 1960s were breaking, the doll market consisted mostly of babies 
designed for girls to cradle, rock, and feed. By creating a doll with adult features, Mattel enabled girls to become anything they want. On September 7th, 2021, following the debut of the streaming television film Barbie Big City Big Dreams on Netflix, Barbie joined forces with Grammy Award-nominated music producer, songwriter, and actress Esther Dean and Girls Make Beats, an organization dedicated to expanding the female presence of music producers, DJs, and audio engineers to inspire more girls to explore a future in music production. Now that sounds super good. I hope that it does inspire more girls to explore a future in music production. Music and sound are hugely important to our culture and how we experience our entire existence. For me, it's hard to imagine life without music and recordings and songs and you know we only are aware of most of the time the musicians you know music is a very kind of isolating format Big fans of musicians will tend to maybe know who a producer was on a, on a given album, who the actual studio producer was. But generally speaking, we don't talk very much about the people behind the scenes in music, in uh, audio engineering. Even the sound design and sound editing Oscars were blended into sound, and I don't think most people really have a handle on what it even means. You know, with movies, we do actually talk often about the different roles that people have on a production. Um... But we don't talk the same way about albums, about records, about music. It is somewhat curious. There are a lot of hidden workers in that industry. Moving on to a more now cadence of bite-sized um sections mostly just about one paragraph in this legacy and influence area. The next section, subsection, is the Mattel theme park. 
in 2023, so this is brand new, Mattel broke ground on a theme park near Phoenix, Arizona. The park is to open in 2024 and highlights Mattel's toys, including a Barbie beach house, a Thomas and Friends themed ride, and a Hot Wheels go-kart racetrack. The theme park will take place at the VAI Resort Complex, located 15 miles west of Phoenix, Arizona. Well, as you undoubtedly know, I am something of a theme park fan, at least as long as there are still some roller coasters to be had, and this doesn't say that precisely, but I would definitely hope there would be something. I suppose that if the theme park is really just targeting super young kids, then maybe you won't see very much in the way of thrill rides. But I would say that given that the Barbie movie, for example, feels a little bit older, then perhaps the theme park will also have some adult-level attractions. Now, Phoenix, Arizona is also a very hot place. At least this year they've been breaking records. So... Hopefully things cool off a little bit for the parks open in 2024, and maybe we can revisit this topic then. Next section. The 50th Anniversary. In 2009, Barbie celebrated her 50th birthday. The celebration included a runway show in New York for the Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week. The event showcased fashions contributed by 50 well-known designers. There is a list of a few of them, and I'm not a huge fashion person. I've heard of Vera Wang and Calvin Klein, but the rest elude me. Next section. Thank you, heroes. In May 2020, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Mattel announced a new line of career dolls modeled after the first responders and essential workers of 2020. For every doll purchased, Mattel donated a doll to the First Responders Children's Foundation. Well, that's kind of a cool thing to do. Pay tribute to the frontline workers and first responders from the pandemic. Although it is a little odd that it was announced in May. That is almost right at the very beginning of the pandemic. There was a long way to go still. Next bite-sized 
Section and Final One Habitat for Humanity In February 2022, Mattel celebrated its 60-year anniversary of the Barbie Dreamhouse by partnering with Habitat for Humanity International. Mattel committed to taking on 60 projects, including new construction, home preservation, and neighborhood revitalization. That seems like a good cause as well. So there's definitely some things in here that show that there are some goodwill actions by the Mattel Corporation with its multi-billion dollar Barbie toy industry. Now there is one last section of influences here, but they are bad influences. And some of them are, to my opinion, somewhat tragically funny. But I would rather not dwell in the moment on the bad influences. We've had to hear all of these other sort of inspirational items and exciting things to look forward to, like the theme park. Now we come to a section on diversity. A series of efforts to make Barbie a more universal toy. Some of this may be interesting, although I will omit some sections. Mattel has responded to criticisms pointing to a lack of diversity in the line. Starting in 1980, it produced Hispanic dolls, and later came models from across the globe. For example, in 2007, it introduced Cinco de Mayo Barbie, wearing a ruffled red, white, and green dress, echoing the Mexican flag. Hispanic Magazine reports that, quote, One of the most dramatic developments in Barbie's history came when she embraced multiculturalism and was released in a wide variety of native costumes, hair colors, and skin tones to more closely resemble the girls who idolized her. Among these were Cinco de Mayo Barbie, Spanish Barbie, Peruvian Barbie, Mexican Barbie, and Puerto Rican Barbie. She also has had close Hispanic friends, such as Teresa. Professor Emily Rosa Guilo Perez argued that over time, Mattel shifted from ambiguous Hispanic presentations in their dolls to one that is more assertive in its Latinx marketing and product labeling. Quote, colored Francie, end quote, made her debut in 1967, and she is sometimes described as the first African-American Barbie doll. However, she was produced using the existing head molds for the white Francie doll and lacked distinct African characteristics 
other than dark skin. The first African-American doll in the Barbie range is usually regarded as Christie, who made her debut in 1968. So that would be one year later then. Black Barbie was launched in 1980, but still had Caucasian features. So another 12 years on, I guess, they were still struggling to get things right. In 1990, Mattel created a focus group with African-American children and parents, early childhood specialists, and clinical psychologist Darlene Powell Hudson. Instead of using the same molds for the Caucasian Barbies, new ones were created. In addition, facial features, skin tones, hair texture, and names were all altered. The body shapes looked different, but the proportions were the same to ensure clothing and accessories were interchangeable. In September 2009, Mattel introduced the So In Style range, which was intended to create a realistic depiction of African-American people than previous dolls. So, if my math is correct, we are now at a point of, in 2009, of 40 years of trying to find the way to a um, decent representation. But it seems like maybe they got there. In 2016, Mattel expanded this line to include seven skin tones. 22 eye colors, and 24 hairstyles. Now we're talking. Part of the reason for this change was due to declining sales. Okay. The brand now offers 22 skin tones, 94 hair colors, 13 eye colors, and 5 body types. Well, that's sort of interesting, unless there's a distinct sort of typo here, then they multiplied um, the number of hairstyles and skin tones, more than tripled them, um, in addition to adding more body types, but they decreased, if this is correct, the number of eye colors from... 22 down to 13. Now, I admit that I know relatively little about eye color, but 22 does sound like an awful lot of eye colors. I didn't know that there were that many. I guess I assume that there are degrees or shades of eye color, so... Something tells me that 13 is still pretty good. In any case, although it took all this time, um, 47 years to get to the 22, 
Well, I guess the brand now offers 22. So it was the 7 by 2016. And since then, it's expanded. Well, we understand that there was a very um, big increase in sales during the pandemic. So maybe that was a part of it. They knew that they would need to seriously expand everything to meet the demand. In any case, I did not know myself that there was such a broad variety of Barbie options. Even if they all still need to have the same body type to be able to wear all the same clothes. I'm guessing that has changed a little bit too. We've gone past the one-size-fits-all period. Well, that's certainly interesting. Have you seen all of 22 skin tones, 94 hair colors, and 13 eye colors? And 5 body types? That seems like a lot of possible variations. If you think you have, let me know. I will skip now the role model Barbie section, which is mainly a list of Barbies based on real-world women, beginning in 2018. It definitely seems like Barbie has been making an effort over the last decade to maintain a degree of relevance as the women who grew out of them grew up. Additionally, I would like to slightly hasten our progress, because the next section on collecting, I think, is very relevant to our moment. The first night for me, for Barbenheimer, when we went to see Oppenheimer, included a stroll through the lobby of one of our local theaters where there was an enormous partnership with Barbie to sell movie merch. I walked mostly right by, but my imagination is that these are mainly of the collectible and souvenir variety, targeting women who grew up with Barbie and now have disposable income to be nostalgic with. This has me actually excited to learn a little bit more about the collectible side, and here is the section from wikipedia.org. Mattel estimates that there are well over 100,000 avid Barbie collectors. 90% are women, at an average age of 40, purchasing more than 20 Barbie dolls each year. Wow, that's pretty incredible. 45% of them spend upwards of $1,000 a year. Vintage Barbie dolls from the early years are the most valuable at auction. And while the original Barbie sold for $3 in 1959, a mint boxed Barbie from 1959 sold for $3,552 
and 50 cents on eBay in October 2004. Well, that's pretty incredible. That's 20 years ago. Makes me wonder what a 2023 version of that auction would be. On September 26, 2006, a Barbie doll set a world record at auction of 9,000 pounds sterling, which was $17,000 U.S. at Christie's in London. The doll was a Barbie in Midnight Red from 1965 and was part of a private collection of 4,000 Barbie dolls being sold by two Dutch women, Letia Rabel and her daughter Marina. Well, I kind of wish there would be a little bit more information here. This might be worthy of further investigation for our next visit. To find out a little bit more about what really makes a Barbie doll go for $17,000 at auction. In recent years, Mattel has sold a wide range of Barbie dolls aimed specifically at collectors, including porcelain versions, vintage reproductions, and depictions of Barbie as a range of characters from film and television series such as The Munsters, and Star Trek. Hmm. Now, most of that makes sense to me. You target Barbie collectors by having vintage reproductions, porcelain versions, and then it makes sense to me further that you target fans of other properties to collect the Barbies that they might not normally purchase. So I can imagine that a Star Trek fan who has other Star Trek collectibles might purchase a Star Trek Barbie. It makes me wonder what all of the film and television series options out there were because if I'm thinking about targeting fan bases, Star Trek does make a lot of sense. Star Trek has a famously large and dedicated fan base. But it's definitely news to me that the Munsters would have a, you know, an extremely large fan base. Or a fan base is significant enough to do a run of... Munsters Barbies. Well, this shows how little I know. Are any of you out there, dear resters, in possession of a Munsters Barbie doll? I'd love to hear about it in the comments. There are also collector's edition dolls depicting Barbie dolls with a range of different ethnic identities. In 2004, Mattel introduced the color tier system for its collector's edition Barbie dolls, including pink, 
silver, gold, and platinum, depending on how many of the dolls are produced. Oh, so there's a design scarcity of Barbie dolls now. And actually, that's from 2004. That's a, another 20 years ago. That's from the same time that that Barbie went for $3,552.50 on eBay. I wonder if there's some coincidence here that the eBay event happened and then also there was the announcement of the tier system. In 2020, Mattel introduced the Dia de los Muertos collectible Barbie doll, the second collectible released as part of the company's La Catrina line, which was launched in 2019. Well, it certainly makes sense to me that there is lots of room and space for Barbie collectibles. And after reading this, I don't doubt that the collectibles that go with the movie that are sold at the movie theater are collector's items. Definitely at the least souvenirs, but at the most potentially valuable future auctionable Barbie dolls associated with the movie. That would definitely be an interesting ploy too if you needed to go to the movies to get the dolls and that they wouldn't be available in stores. Well, I do need to apologize, dear Rester, that it feels as though there may be more questions sparked by reading this section about collectibles than answers. Perhaps next time we can visit with more information about these particular collectible items and maybe learn a thing or two about a few more of them. So there we have a great deal about Barbie. I definitely feel like I now know far more than I did before. If you are further interested in learning about Barbie, I encourage you to go to wikipedia.org to read the rest of the article. Now, I will say that the article definitely has far less information than I expected on something that's been around for so long. But perhaps, strangely enough, wikipedia.org is not the best source of Barbie information. It is certainly possible that among the 100,000 Barbie collectors who spend at least $1,000 per year, that there must be somebody who is something of an archivist or even museum keeper of Barbie information. And perhaps someone listening to this podcast, perhaps one of our resters out there, has far more knowledge and can share with us what they know about Barbie. Do you have fond or nostalgic memories about Barbie? 
or even other toys from childhood? If we all enjoyed this particular ponder of Barbie, perhaps we could endeavor toward another, for another long-lost or still-existing franchise. Let me know what you think in the comments. And we'll leave it here for this episode. I certainly hope that you have been adequately rambled to rest and are not hearing what I am saying right now. However, if for some reason you are conscious at this time, I will leave you with these parting words. Stamp. Alluring. Accessible. Suggest. Actor. Interest. Event. Quiver. Whip. And leather. Thank you again. I am your host, Ryan. Music, as always, has been by disparition. And I'll see you in the next episode.